going to have a, a responsive reading this morning. It's called The Litany of Thanksgiving. The words will be projected on the screen. I will be the reader. You will be the all. In ancient Samaria, where the Tigris and Euphrates cradled civilization, and where the word freedom first appeared in human history, Thomas, the god of field and meadow, died each year and came to life with Inanna, goddess of soil and fertility. For the ancient roots of human culture, we give thanks. In early Greece, Orpheus and Dionysus, the gods of music and wine, died each year with the cycle of the seasons and came to life again as a sign of hope. For the celebration of joy and promise, In Egypt of old, people planted seeds in the fertile earth, the body of Isis, that her dead lover, Osiris, god of grain and harvest, might spring to life again. They celebrated his resurrection with beer and barley cakes as their communion with sacred sun and soil. For the sustaining nurture of earth and harvest, we give thanks. On the night following their deliverance from slavery to Pharaoh, the children of Israel shared a feast of unleavened bread to mark their release from bondage. For the end of all slavery and oppression, and the promise of liberation, we give thanks. On the night before he died, the rabbi Jesus celebrated Passover with his disciples and friends. He broke bread before them and poured out wine so that by these acts of remembering, his followers might not be defeated by sorrow, betrayal, pain, and death, but share strength and joy with each other. After fleeing religious persecution and surviving a deadly year, The remaining pilgrims gathered at Plymouth Rock with their native neighbors in a feast of thanksgiving. On this day, we partake of the bounty of the earth and rejoice in the work of the Spirit, renewing our covenant of justice and love. going to introduce the man who needs no introduction. It's Patrick Neal who is going to take us through the rest of our Abraxan service this morning. Thank you, Salima. Good morning, and it's good to be with you this morning. This past Thursday, The fourth Thursday of November, the day we annually celebrate Thanksgiving, Annabelle and I gathered with family in a ritual celebration of food and drink, sharing and laughing, remembering and giving thanks. We celebrate and give thanks in the good years and the bad. There were years growing up that we were so poor, I marvel now at how my parents were able to provide a feast. I remember a somber Thanksgiving in 1963 when we were still mourning the passing of John Kennedy. 
There were Thanksgivings where one or more of us, and by the way, my brother and my sister are with us in the congregation this morning, but one or more of us would be absent from the Thanksgiving feast, and so we communicated by telephone. And the telephone was passed around the table, and everyone had a chance to say hello and talk with everyone else. There was usually a person or two at most of our Thanksgivings that most of us didn't know that somebody had invited, often my mom. Some years our celebrations were very small, and others that were, well, 65 people is a lot. (laughs) My friend John Hatch, an immigrant from Australia, says that Thanksgiving is his favorite holiday because it is a time of coming together and sharing our abundance and blessings with one another. For my family, Thanksgiving has been a tradition since we also immigrated to North America. It would have been in 1620 when my ninth great-grandfather, William Bradford, and 100 other pilgrims landed on the rocky shores of what would be called Cape Cod. If I ask you to remember the first Thanksgiving, you probably would see the version that I think most of us were taught in elementary school, or maybe the Hallmark greeting card version. You know, well-dressed pilgrims, proud Indians, gathered under a brightly colored maple tree, sharing a large table, groaning under the weight of a bounteous harvest. Each person giving thanks to their God for life's copious blessings and enjoying a carefree day in the company of each other. However, the reality is that what they experienced was really starkly different than the story we've been told. Other than friendship and goodwill with the natives, at least in the beginning, the real story of Thanksgiving is both tragic and brutal. The pilgrims, known as separatists in England, were fleeing persecution, and the stories of their persecution are unbelievable. They wanted to be separate from the Church of England. They wanted to choose their own ministers and run their own congregations. They insisted on local autonomy. Sounds a lot like Unitarian Universalists to me. In fact, their original church, the first parish in Plymouth, later became a Unitarian church and remains a UU congregation today. But that first year was a nightmare. They had little to eat, surviving on meager portions of salt beef and hardtack and occasionally a little game. They developed scurvy because they had no fruit or vegetables. Nearly everyone was sick and half the company died cold, horrible deaths. Without the help of the Wampanoag Indians, it is likely they all would have died and I wouldn't be with you this morning. But with the help of the Indians, showing them how to plant and cultivate native corn, They had a bountiful harvest in 1621. Bradford declared a three-day blowout of food and festivities for the pilgrims and their Indian friends. A happy ending, albeit temporary, to what could have been a real tragedy. 
So this morning in my homily, I want to focus on that tough, brutal first year for the pilgrims. Ponder with me, if you will, the absolute horror of that first winter in Plymouth. By spring, every family had faced the ravages of disease, despair, and death. Imagine living in cold, dirty shacks, watching half the people you know and love die from natural forces beyond your control. There must have been much suffering and sadness and wondering if you would be the next to perish. So, why tell this story? Well, in in the words of the Reverend Scott Alexander, it is spiritually important that we not romanticize the first American Thanksgiving as some carefree festival of reckless joy. The pilgrims seated at that table were survivors. Some of them were still very weak and sick. They were dressed in rags. They were grateful to have endured, but their thoughts must have included huge measures of grief and fear. The real story of Thanksgiving is not that, is that they did not allow the horror of what they'd been through to block their celebration. Somehow they were able to put aside their grief and their sorrow, their misery, to celebrate and share. Somehow they were able to choose gratitude over bitterness, generosity over greed, thanksgiving over self-pity. I believe they were able to transcend their negative experience with their belief in spirit. Soren Kierkegaard has observed it takes real courage to grieve, but it takes religious courage to rejoice. So we find ourselves today in a world filled with grief and misery. Everywhere we look, we see people being killed and beaten and abused. There are more refugees on the move today than at any time since World War II. Famine is claiming a child in Yemen every 10 minutes. And cholera and famine are epidemic in Yemen. Famine is widespread in Ethiopia, Somalia, Kenya, South Sudan, Nigeria, Niger, and Chad. War is displacing millions of people all over the Middle East and Africa. The Buddhist majority in Rinmar is carrying out a brutal and immoral ethnic cleansing of the Muslim Rohingya people. And even in our own country, the greatest food producing nation in the world, 41 million people, including 13 million children face hunger. One in three quarter million people are homeless. Ninety Americans die every day from opioid overdoses. Racial discrimination and worse is rampant in the land of the free. And hashtag me too points to the daily plight of women in this country subjected to the arrogance and power of men. And there is more. So much more. So while we are able 
to rejoice at this time of thanksgiving. We must commit ourselves as individuals and our congregation as a collective to address the grief and misery. We can pray and send positive thoughts. Certainly the pilgrims did that. But they did more. They planted and tended crops. They built relationships with their neighbors. They built homes and a village. They took action. Pope Francis says, you pray for the hungry. Then you feed them. This is how prayer works. Now, every year, and including this year, the President of the United States issues a proclamation for Thanksgiving Day. Two weeks before he was assassinated, John Kennedy issued a proclamation that is so true still today. Kennedy wrote, Much time has passed since the first colonists came to the rocky shores and dark forests of an unknown continent. Much time since President Washington led a young people into the experience of nationhood. Much time since President Lincoln saw the American nation through the ordeal of fraternal war. And in these years, our population, our plenty, and our power have grown apace. Today, we are a nation enjoying the fruits of an ever-expanding agriculture and industry and achieving standards of living unknown in previous history. We give our humble thanks for this. Yet, as our power has grown, so has our peril. Today, we give our thanks most of all for the ideals of honor and faith we inherit from our forefathers, for the decency of purpose, steadfastness of resolve, and strength of will, for the courage and the humility which they possessed and which we must seek every day to emulate. As we express our gratitude, we must never forget that the highest appreciation is not to utter words, but to live by them. Let us therefore proclaim our gratitude to providence for manifold blessings. Let us be humbly thankful for inherited ideals. And let us resolve to share those blessings and those ideals with our fellow human beings throughout the world. John Kennedy. So, what can we woofers do? Now, here's some ideas. One, work together. Many hands make lighter work. Making sandwiches for the homeless is fun with six people. It's absolutely unbearable when you're doing it by yourself. A car trip to, to lobby in Salem with others is invigorating. Writing letters with others is so inspiring. You can join or support the Wolf Social Justice Team or the Racial Justice Coordinating Committee or the programs that support the Western farm workers or our activities with Emerge and Immigrant Justice. Provide financial support for UUSC, the Unitarian Universalist Service Committee. Work for Habitat for Humanity or Amnesty International. Join any of the dozens of coalitions, groups, and movements in the Portland social justice arena. Reverend Tracy suggests making a pact with another member of this congregation that cares passionately about the same issue you do and hold each other accountable for writing one letter to the editor or to a legislator each month. Reverend Tracy also suggests starting a support group for social justice issue. Gather together with some others from the congregation. Support each other and actively work that issue and also engage in daily contemplative practice around that issue. And there are more things, and you're all thinking about them right now, 
We have to do it. We have to act. We have to be out there. Let me conclude my homily, again quoting the words of the Reverend Scott Alexander. Remember that beneath your very real griefs and losses, life's holy heartbeat can still be heard. No matter what has been taken from you, there is still life to be vibrantly, bravely, purposefully lived. Amidst the many thorns of living, there is always, always joy to be discovered, beauty to be seen, laughter to be heard, service to be accomplished, satisfaction to be found, love to be shared. For these imperfect possibilities, for this tenuous gift, this Thanksgiving, let your heart whisper the words from Carl Sandburg. Call hallelujah. Call amen. Call deep thanks. May it be so. Blessed be. Amen. I gosh, I think we're getting it. <laughs> Please be seated. We started a little bit late. We will run a little bit over. If you have to leave, you have to leave. Uh, one thing that our, our Reverend Sarah Schur, who was our minister several years ago, would occasionally pick a word and unpack it for us. Those were words that traditionally Unitarians, Universalists tend to have a problem with. And I need to quickly unpack one word. And that is the word communion. Now, we're used to the flower communion in September, in in the spring, and we made it through the fruit and chocolate communion in September. (laughs) But soon I'm going to invite you to a communion that involves bread and fruit juice. OMG! That sounds too much like Christmas communion and the blood and body of Christ. That's not what this is about. That's not what this is about. Uh, Let me skip through here. Uh, Back when I was in graduate school, my classic rhetoric professor one day came to class and in his Socratic method asked me, so what is the meaning of communication? And I fumbled and bumbled. Eventually, we came to some understanding. And I want to go to the etymology that comes to us from St. Augustine. And when I started thinking about St. Augustine, I thought, oh my gosh, we're going to get communion about the blood and body of Christ. But this is what the Augustine said. That really, communion is composed of three pieces. Com, uni, and on. Okay? Com. Com, St. Augustine said, means coming, means together. Coming together. Unis, uni, means oneness or union. And on is the process. So if I put that all together real quickly, when I talk about communion, what we're really talking about is the act of coming together to be one. We do communion at Woof all the time. We just don't call it communion. When... uh, when we share group soup, that's communion. When you had your Thanksgiving feast, 
with family or friends, that was communion. You were coming together to be one. So, that is what we're celebrating today, is the oneness of this congregation coming together, being linked in time and space with our history and with the future. And that's where we're at. We are going to have a communion of cornbread and apple cider. Corn links us back to the indigenous population of this country. It links us back to that winter when the Puritans were able to eat some corn and maybe to stay alive. So that's very much North America. Apple, apples, apple cider, apple juice. The only apple native to North America are the crab apples. We don't have any of those. So what, we're, what we think of as apples today is something that comes originally came from Asia through the Middle East on through Europe and finally to North America. And so as we engage in communion this morning, we are linking back to the peoples of the world. We're linking back to our traditions in North America. So first of all, let me simply acknowledge this beautiful communion altar. Vin Oxai, Janet Asparo yesterday put this together. And I thank them so much. This is beautiful. And Evan too. Oh, yeah, yes. There, there were children involved with this as well. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Um, so, this is how we're going to work. Uh, we're going to come and share, and we're going to, we're going to do a little bit of each person symbolically feeding the next one in line. Um, and we will proceed up the north aisle, get a, a piece of cornbread, and there is a little card here that says, Bread of life given freely to you. So the way it will work is, come up, get a piece of cornbread. I'm going to say to the first person, bread of life given freely to you. You pick up your cornbread, and then what I want you to do is turn to the next person in line and say, gesture to the cornbread, and say, bread of life given freely to you. So that each person in turn will invite the next one in line to pick up a piece of cornbread. When you've done that, then come over here. There are little cups of apple cider. And the first person is going to be told, fruit of the earth given freely to you. Get your cup, and then before you leave, as the next person comes over, fruit of the earth given freely to you. So that we are feeding and providing drink to each other. That's the process. Eternal Spirit, we give thanks that through word and act we have been joined into a holy company of people who would manifest in our individual and collective lives the hope of one humanity, one living community of earth. And we remember the words. I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me.
In every act of mercy or love or empowerment we do, in every spark of hope we keep alive, the spirit of life be with us.